Well, we are in the book of Philippians for these weeks. The letter of Paul to the Philippians was written while he was in prison in Rome. It's a pastoral word, as we've been talking about, to a beloved congregation. And it is what is, in effect, his final word to this congregation, because he will not exit that prison alive. And his call from that, what we would see as a rather dark space, his call to them, his call to himself, his call to the entire church is to rejoice in the Lord. And we're exploring that word as we move through this letter, Paul's invitation to rejoice. And what we do is we're going through this letter is kind of coming to terms with who Paul is as pastor and what he emphasizes and what he wants the Philippian church to hold on to and to make known to them. And today we're looking at, I think, the most important passage in the book. And I have to say, I think one of the most important passages in scripture. So there's a part of me that just wants to read it and sit down. (laughs) Not a strong enough part to keep me from talking. But I think it is one of the most important passages in the Bible. It's a hymn of praise, a succinct and beautifully poetic description of the ministry of Jesus, and a call to us about the way we live our lives and reflecting that love that he has poured out on us. And so let's look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me, please? O Christ, surround us. Draw our attention to the truth that in you all things cohere. Bring us into that awareness and so grant us peace, the peace of knowing that you have indeed overcome the world. Help us to rest in that and find joy, even in the midst of things that might invite us to a very different response. 
For we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So I think these days especially, but maybe for the entire history of the Christian church, the question, what is a Christian, is one that is kind of a matter of debate among us. <laughs> it seems simple enough, and yet there are lots of different ways that we have answered this question throughout history and lots of different groups that have answered it in different ways. And often it has been in terms of explaining the kind of Christian we are, not what is a Christian in that generic or big sense of what defines a follower of Jesus or what does a follower of Jesus look like. But we often resort to a list of religious practices or examples of a particular brand of Christianity to answer that question. One of the things that was one of my son's gifts to me was inviting me to sit down and watch The Simpsons with him. Um, <laughs> he's somewhat of an expert on it and um, can quote large swaths of material from The Simpsons, even now in his mid-30s. He does that, and it's a great joy. But, you know, there's a church in Springfield where The Simpsons live that The Simpsons go to called the Springfield Community Church, and the pastor's name there is Pastor Lovejoy. And there's a particular episode where there's some religious dissension in the family. Uh, Bart and Homer have gone over to the Catholic Church, and Marge is still at the Simpsons Home Church, which is the Springfield Community Church. And she engages Pastor Lovejoy in a conversation about what it is that is distinctive about who they are not as Christians and also as members of the Springfield Community Church. And Pastor Lovejoy explains to her that the Springfield Church is affiliated with the Reformed branch of the Presbyterians. <laughs> and what separated the Reformed branch of the Presbyterians from the traditional branch of the Presbyterians was the question of whether or not you could come to church with wet hair. <laughs> That separated them because one group, I think the reform group wanted to come with wet hair and because they were the liberals and uh, <laughs> the conservative group wanted the traditional way of coming to church with dry hair. And yet Pastor Lovejoy also explains to March that that ruling was later revoked. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's insane and it feels just absolutely incongruous with anything that could possibly be said about what being a Christian is. And yet, it's not that far from a depiction of a common tendency in church history, which is to define ourselves based on the way we get together or how we get together or what we wear or what we eat or what we don't eat and what we don't wear. It's just there. And in the name of purity or a desire to be pleasing to God, we have historically tended to argue among ourselves about what faithfulness should look like. And we come up with religious practices that define faithfulness and righteousness. And in so doing, 
lose track of the very one whose title is in the designation that we claim to abide by, which is Christian. We ignore Christ or how the person of Jesus is at the foundation of that word Christian. And I think Paul works with that question of what is a Christian in our text today. And I think he gives us a pretty good answer for that question. In essence, he points to Jesus and he says to be a Christian is to have the mind of Christ. He says it elsewhere, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Philippians 2, he identifies what that transformation looks like and what the markers are of that renewed mind. In chapter 1, Paul celebrates his relationship with the Philippian church and how the gospel has taken root among the people of Philippi and how they have this partnership, this common life together, this partnership in the gospel, this koinonia, and that they belong to Christ and thus they're holding each other in their hearts. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he essentially says, since there's evidence of the love of Jesus Christ, already at work transforming you, then keep moving in that direction. Make my joy complete by continuing to grow into the mind of Christ. Continue to make yourself available to his love. Take on this same mind and have this same love. Seek the other's best, as he says. And that's one of the key points that he makes in this text. Verses three through four, if I can just Read them again for you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. He's inviting them to take on the mind of Christ. He's inviting them to that state of humility that Jesus invited his disciples to assume. Don't allow yourself to make the betterment of self your primary quest, is what Paul is saying. Choose humility and regard others as better than yourself. The key to life is not looking out for number one, yourself, but looking to the interests of others. Make your world bigger, if you will. Step back, zoom out, and understand that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Have the mind of Christ and look to Jesus in order to understand that mind. And then in verses 5 through 11, he explores how Jesus demonstrates that mind. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And I love that notion of let the mind be in you. It's like not a question of striving harder to get there. It's about stepping out of the way and making room for something. It's like scooching over in the pew and letting someone sit next to you. It's that sense of 
let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Make room for the mind of Christ. And it's a gentler way of saying, be like Jesus or strive to act like Jesus or even imitate Jesus. It's not what would Jesus do and then striving to come up with the answer to that question. It's resting in the reality of what Jesus has done and making room for that somehow. It's the same thing that Peter says in the second chapter of, of his first letter when he says, come to him, he who is a, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built up into a spiritual house. God is at work. We're going to look at this next time where Paul says, work out your salvation through fear and trembling, for God is at work. Those, those two things have to be paired, and we'll look at that in more detail next time. But he's saying here, let this mind develop in you. Welcome the work that the Spirit is doing in you, and notice it in order to nurture it. Let the mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then to put a finer point on it, he says, if you want to know what having the mind of Christ is all about, then look to the incarnation, the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus. It's verses 5 through 11. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, even the most shameful death, even the total abandonment of dying in an official Roman execution, which is meant for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to say you are nothing, and anyone who acts like this guy will be nothing as well even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Instead of asserting or maybe even exploiting his divine position, he chose to empty himself of that power. Instead of being a king, he became a slave. Instead of demanding obedience to himself, he obeyed his father and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Take on the mind of this one, says Paul, who wins by giving up the notion of winning, who becomes exalted by choosing humility, who receives the praise of all because he sought their best rather than his own. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who is growing into the mind of Christ. And that is a territory that we will never stop exploring.
a lot of memories of ministry are bubbling up in me these days because I'm thinking I'm coming toward the end of doing congregational ministry. And so that is its own wondrous thing and also disturbing thing to have those things pop into my awareness. And I hope my family can tolerate me uh, <laughs> for the next months. But I, I had a memory of an embarrassing moment in ministry when I was in my 30s and working in Pasadena. There was uh, Pasadena City College was not far from our church and there was a religious studies teacher who also happened to be the chairman of the board of the preschool and daycare that housed itself at our congregation and he asked me to come and speak to his class one time and to tell them what it means to be a presbyterian <laughs> and and that's exactly what i did i thought that's what he wanted me to do but I found out later that I was the Christian that he was asking in, but he asked me to talk about being Presbyterian. And so I gave them a lot of information they didn't need to know. <laughs> what I did was very heavy on our organization because we're named for the way we're organized. And I went on and on about how we were organized and what our polity was. And that's what made us distinctive among Christian churches and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it came time for questions. And most of the class looked like they were asleep. <laughs> but a few of them wanted to argue with me, people who were I think Jehovah's Witnesses wanted to argue with me about the Trinity and, you know, kind of big doctrinal questions, and that put more people to sleep. <laughs> but there was one young man in the back who, in the midst of all of this, just looked incredulous. And he raised his hand and he said something like, What are you talking about? Are you telling me that? This organizational structure is what it means to be a Christian? Where does Jesus fit into all of this? <laughs> and that's the point at which you go, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you for that cup of cold water that is actually a bucket of ice water over my head. I had failed to talk about Jesus and talked about something, frankly, as significant as wet hair, which is not something I ever worry about. <laughs> but I talked about what distinguishes and defines and divides Presbyterians from other Christians and failed to talk about the one in whom all things cohere. The one to whom every knee shall bow because he emptied himself for the sake of the world, the cosmos. You know, we can't hear Paul's invitation to us to let the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. We can't hear that invitation enough. It tells us a, a radical truth. A radical truth that turns life in this world upside down, that we follow a leader, 
not because he has won in the traditional sense, but because he is one who wins by giving up traditional notions of winning. One who rises to the top by going to the bottom. One who gains all by emptying himself of all earthly accoutrements of ascendancy. And this is the mind that we are invited to allow to grow in us. And so let us also, therefore, lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with perseverance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and is now seated next to the throne of God. Let's pray. Work in us to grow us into the image of your Son, O God. By your Holy Spirit, breathe new life into our lives, and so equip us to be reflectors of your love to the world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.